Ho ho hello, student bodies! Welcome <laughs> to this month's meeting of Super Chillers, an exclusive club where we read and discuss retro teen horror novels. I'm Santa! And I'm Katie. Oh wait, no, I'm Jeffrey, sorry. And uh, today <laughs> we're discussing Sleigh Bells by Joe Gibson. Tis the season to die. Santa Claus is coming to kill. The just open Crossroads Mall is the place to shop this holiday season. Diana Connolly and her friends are having such a fabulous time that they don't even mind when a sudden snowstorm traps them there. Until the accidents start to happen, killing off Diana's friends one by one. Accidents that aren't really accidents at all because hiding in the shadows of the Crossroads Mall is a twisted killer with a Christmas list of his own. He's checking it twice to find out who's been naughty or nice. And Diana, you've been very naughty this year. (laughs) (laughs) This year or some indefinite time in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy, sleigh bells. I have been wanting to do this one for some time. Um, I even, uh, I believe, gifted you a copy of this uh, last Christmas because yeah. uh, it's quite a rare one. Although, listeners, student bodies, you can read this fairly easily, and I'll talk to you about how you can do that. But the actual original printing of it is, is pretty rare. So uh, uh, I gifted a copy to you so we could do it specifically uh, for the holiday season upcoming sometime. Yay. And hey, this year we get to do it. Yeah. So. Let's talk a little bit about uh, this book and its author. Uh, This was published in December 1994. Uh, It was originally published by Z-Fave. Z-Fave. Yes, we did them before. Uh, (laughs) Z-Fave is a wonderful publisher. It's the teen offshoot of Zebra or Kensington Publications. Uh, Zebra is the kind of, at this moment in time, the iconic... 80s and 90s horror paperback publisher. Uh, they often have uh, embossed covers with uh, skeletons or child skeletons, lady skeletons, all types of skeletons, and often imperiled children on the cover. <laughs> uh, so Zfave did produce a number of YA books during kind of like the end period of um, YA horror dominance in like the early-ish middle of the 90s um so they did a bunch of like um one-off books like sleigh bells but they also did those series uh nightmare club and Mm. uh scream um both of which lasted for um a a surprising number of volumes um (laughs) uh, but we also got to talk about our author here because she's a really interesting one this is joe gibson who wrote a number of YA thrillers in the mid-ish 90s, largely for Z-Fave, but also for Scholastic, too. Um, She has titles like My Bloody Valentine, The Crush Mm. 1, and The Crush 2, Dance of Death, and The Dead Girl. Um, Interestingly, Joe Gibson is her real name. Uh, Gibson is her maiden name, but she's most famous under her pen name of Joanna Fluke. Uh, in fact, she's really well known for a cozy mystery series surrounding a small town baker named Hannah Swenson. What? Uh, yeah. I know 
that you know series. those books? Yeah, chocolate chip cookie murder, strawberry shortcake murder, blueberry Whoa. muffin murder. In fact, I had there's no idea. Thirty-two different entries <laughs> in this uh, cozy Hannah Swenson series. Uh, the Hallmark <laughs> channels made six different movies on uh, these uh, baking murder books. Um, and uh, I did read one funny thing on our Wikipedia, which is that uh, uh, she is well known for making chocolate chip cookies for her readers. I don't know. Oh. I guess like at readings or like author events. Oh, man, we should get on that chocolate chip cookie list. <laughs> Let's enter a copy of this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Joe Gibson, Joanna Fluke, um, probably one of the more successful authors that we've covered on this show outside of the the YA horror genre, uh, which is cool. <laughs> Very cool. So um, cool. So the cover of this book, we do not have an artist listed, but we do have a wonderful cover to discuss. So Katie, why don't you bring us through Sleigh Bells? So we're looking at a lovely bunch of mistletoe tied up with a festive red ribbon and some jingly jangly silver bells. But reflected in one of these silver bells, it looks to be a Santa Claus imposter. And I say that because he doesn't have rosy cheeks or a twinkle in his eye. And he looks like he's in his 20s. <laughs> and his beard is not <laughs> organic. He is pulling it off. <laughs> um, I really like the font that Sleigh Bells is written. And it's sort of like this gothic serif font with some drippy red blood or perhaps some drippy red mulled wine <laughs> could be yeah uh, um so my favorite detail about this is just that we're seeing the reflection in the jingle bell like mm -hmm. um i've been watching a lot of um hor christmas horror movies this this week of course because you know you got to and yeah. like um there's often this this image that they like to portray of um like the killer or maybe even a victim being reflected in a shiny Christmas ornament, which kind of <laughs> makes sense because ornaments are often quite large. Mm -hmm. um, the bells on Jingle Bells are very <laughs> small. So it's such a minute detail. And in fact, like when you first look at this at, at any sort of distance, you can barely even see the reflection of the Santa. So it's not quite as menacing. It's like a little hidden detail that spooks you, yeah. if, you, if, you if you happen to catch it. Yeah, I think that just proves what a skilled killer this Santa is. He can sneak up on you. At, you know, he has such close attention to detail. Uh, just like Joe Gibson does in this book. Yeah. So, in fact, let's talk about all these wonderful details by starting off with our characters. This book maybe has the largest number of, like, speaking characters we have ever had. <laughs> Uh, which is impressive because I believe last month we had a really long list too, but this one yeah. definitely dwarfs it. Um, we're not going to detail every character because most of them, despite like seeming like they're important, they are not important. Uh, there are really just about five characters we really have to pay attention to. So I'm going to walk you through them right now. First up, Diana Connolly. She is a student at Prairie State College who has taken a temporary Christmas job as the brand new Crossroads Mall as an ever-skipping cookie tray brandishing elf with her bright blue eyes, light skin, freckles, and permanent perm of curly red hair that carries the aura of a finger stuck in an electrical socket, she tells us. <laughs> Diana looks like Little Orphan Annie, but she laughs off the comparison. She often laughs at herself, we're told, because she's confident. Everyone says she has a very good figure, and her teeth are nice and straight. 
Uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the novel, Diana is obsessed with her old next door neighbor, Shane Winter, who has grown up to be a famous pop star and who just so happens to be giving an opening day performance at Crossroads Mall. I liked the little addition of Shane Winter. I feel like his name is a little on the nose for a Christmas novel. <laughs> <laughs> Shane Winter. <laughs> Uh, Cindy Swanson is next. This is Diana's college roommate, best friend, and fellow skipping elf. According to Diana, Cindy isn't at all beautiful in the traditional sense. Uh, Her light brown hair, which was really very nice, was cut so short it made her face look thin. Her deep brown eyes are set a little too wide. But, you know, she's got a perfect nose and model cheekbones. Petite, coming in at under 200 pounds, but you wouldn't want to scrap with her. She's no nonsense and has a personality that makes all of her friends treat her like a live hand grenade. She describes it as being a bitch in training. <laughs> um, yeah, I love when characters are described as not very pretty in the traditional sense. Um, that's, <laughs> you know, something you love to hear. <laughs> Especially from your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jay Swanson is next. This is Cindy's older brother, who Diana is realizing just might be an available hunk. With his tall, broad-shouldered frame, without an ounce of fat on him, (laughs) sun-streaked brown hair, brown eyes, incredibly long lashes. That's right. He's what grandmas would call a dish. (laughs) And Diana is thinking maybe she'll dig in. A star quarterback (laughs) at Prairie College, Jay is currently working the Christmas season at Crossroads Mall as one of four rotating Santa Clauses. Hey, you perspire in that suit. (laughs) Yeah, Santa is not an easy job. He says the costumes are heavy and Santa has to be on his toes for the kids. So he doesn't think any of the Santas should do it for more than four hours at a time. I just really commend him for sticking up for those North Pole labor laws. <laughs> Santa's rights, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Heather Perkins is next. This is Jay's ex-girlfriend and a real social climber and a real daddy's girl. In fact, her daddy's connections got her out of skipping elf duty and instead installed her on a cushy throne at Santa's side as Crossroad Malls' Christmas Angel, whatever that is. (laughs) At the beginning of the novel, she's determined to win back Jay's affections at any cost, even if it means working at the mall rather than simply shopping at it. Why? Well, she broke up with Jay for the new quarterback after Jay was benched with an injury, but unfortunately her new poor-striving senior beau whiffed on the field, earning himself the nickname Mr. Velcro. Time to rip (laughs) off the Velcro and tie herself back to a J-shaped goalpost instead, Heather reasons. I love this job of the Christmas angel. I've never heard of a mall Santa display having a Christmas angel. I've always thought of malls as being more secular spaces. I mean, the best detail is that, like, they say that her outfit doesn't even really look like an angel. So she just kind of looks like... just a white dress and a tiara. Uh, uh, Last is Paul Murphy, a junior at the University of Minnesota who's majoring in film studies and who's got a job at Night News as an extra cameraman, (laughs) having worked his way up from a summer job as a gopher. Uh, Nearly turned himself into a popsicle while driving himself back to the mall during the winter storm so that he could be snowed in too. His reason? Well, he forgot to ask Cindy's area code when he got her number. (laughs) But now that he's snowed in with a camera and little else to do, he's thinking he'll film a documentary about the travails of the snowed in seven. (laughs) 
or six or five or four or three. The number <laughs> decreases. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he could have taken a guess with that area code. There's probably only two or three in the area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but I really love his commitment to journalism. This shows a lot of integrity. I think we need more journalism, journalists like him. Well, I also think that he is way off base by looking at the events transpiring in this mall and going, wow, this is interesting enough for a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we do have a number of other characters, as I mentioned. I'll just list them off for you. Uh, There are the other uh, fellow employees, both um, skipping elves and other Santas. We have Sue Langer, Dave Atkin, Larry Fisher, Hale Bremer. Um, all of these people will die. They're, they are just there to die. That's it. <laughs> uh, we do have Shane Winter, who was mentioned. He's the pop star who shows up for like the first chapter and then vanishes. Uh, Tracy Thomas, the uh, the anchor on Night News. And uh, of course, um, just because I love the nickname, I already mentioned it, but Mr. Velcro, uh, <laughs> Heather Perkins, uh, a former most recent boyfriend. <laughs> One of the things I liked is that all of these male names that you mentioned are all playing the various mall Santas. And I thought it's so funny because are there no old men in this town that they could hire to play the mall Santas? They only hire young beefcake Santas. Well, they, they do all have old men names. Ah, yeah. uh, Larry, <laughs> hell, Dave. That's true. All right. Let's, let's hop, skip, and jump like a Christmas elf, right into the plot of this book. So we open with a prologue from the perspective of the killer. This is one of those books where there are passages interspersed throughout that are from the killer's point of view. So we really get a good sense of his motivations, what makes him tick. So in this prologue, he's reminiscing about a time when he loved Christmas so much. He spent many happy holidays with his grandparents on their farm. That was until the evil developers swindled his grandparents out of their land and used it to build Crossroads Mall. And he clicks on the radio and hears a Christmas tune that sparks an exciting little idea. Despair washed over him, and he gave a deep sigh as he listened to the next song on the tape. It was a children's song. Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. You better not cry. You know how it goes. He raised his eyebrows as he listened to the words. He'd never really noticed it before, but the Santa (laughs) in the song was vengeful. The first line was a warning. You better watch out. It sent a clear message to everyone who listened. Santa would get you if you weren't good. Santa saw you and he put your name on a list. If you were good, you got presents. But if you were bad, Santa would, what, punish you? Suddenly he had an inspiration. Perhaps he should be Santa this year and punish the people who'd hurt his grandparents. It was an intriguing idea and he began to smile for the first time today. It wasn't a nice smile, but Santa didn't have to be nice. Did he? Boy, I will never uh, hear that song the same way again. (laughs) Childhood ruined. (laughs) 
Twas the night before the big opening of Crossroads Mall. All of our characters are hard at work wrapping presents for the children who will come to see Santa, trying on their elf costumes, and preparing for a news team to come out and do a segment about the mall opening. And they're even expecting this local celebrity named Shane Winter to make an appearance. So we jump immediately to the perspective of the killer. Now that he knows about Santa Claus is coming to town, his revenge plot knows no bounds. And the first person on his naughty list is a girl who came to his grandfather's house trying to raise some money for a children's playground. And she talked his grandfather into donating on an installment plan, but I guess the grandfather forgot to pay the bills and it ended up going to a collection <laughs> agency. I love that somehow this is this like act of charity is legally binding. Like you <laughs> can't get out of this. <laughs> I don't think that's how donations work. But now Santa is going to make her pay. So as the gang is wrapping up for the night, literally wrapping, they have like hundreds of boxes of stuffed animals that they're wrapping. They come to the odd realization that they have 301 presents instead of only 300. And when they find the extra box, its tag reads, To Sue, from Santa. And she's thrilled because Sue thinks it might be a surprise from her boyfriend, so she sneaks a little peek. But unfortunately, it's only a slip of paper that reads, You better watch out. You better not cry. <laughs> So everyone gets into their costumes because the news crew arrives to film an interview with Jay slash Santa about the mall opening. Here we are at the new Crossroads Mall, and Christmas is definitely in the air. Tracy began to walk over to the group around Santa as she continued her speech. The mall was completed only last month in a cooperative venture by three Minnesota cities, Prairie Falls, Portersville, and Two Rivers. And I'm told there's plenty of fun in store for the shoppers who attend the grand opening. Let's find out from the man himself, Santa Claus! <laughs> Tracy stepped up to Santa's throne and smiled at Jay. Hello, Santa. Can you tell us about some of the activities planned for tomorrow? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Diana grinned as Jay gave his merriest laugh. His voice was so deep she might not have recognized him if, if she hadn't seen the tinsel ring on his finger. Mrs. Claus has been very busy in the kitchen and she's made cookies and punch for everyone who comes to the grand opening. <laughs> I'm sure the mall will be very crowded tomorrow. Tracy smiled at Jay. Will parking be a problem? Ho, 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 not at all, Jay laughed again. <laughs> Just pull up to the valet side and my helpers will park your car for you. Then hop on Santa's sleigh ride shuttle and we'll bring you right up to the main entrance. That's very convenient. How many stores will be open, Santa? Yada, yada, yada. There's one moment a little bit farther on I wanted to read to you on 39. They talk about some of the uh, snowmobiles that you can win. I guess there's a <laughs> snowmobile. Raffle. Uh, raffle, yeah. I'd love to win those. Tracy smiled at the camera as they began to walk back. You just convinced me, Santa. I'll definitely be here. But how about my little niece and nephew? Will they get a chance to meet you? Yes, they will, Tracy. I'll be right here in Santa's <laughs> village, and I'm looking forward to meeting all the kids. Tracy nodded. Now, Santa, I don't want you to give away any secrets, but one of your elves told me there'd be a surprise for the kids at the tree lighting ceremony tomorrow night. Oh, ho, that's <laughs> right, Tracy. And I know exactly which elf told you. It was this cute little red-headed imp right here, wasn't it? <laughs> Diana giggled as Jay pointed to her. There are so many perks about going to this small opening. It was like 
just tons of pricks. <laughs> I know. I mean, we didn't even mention Shane Winters there. <laughs> they spared no expense. Um, okay, but all of these festivities are cut short when some police officers show up at the mall to warn them about an impending snowstorm. I guess none of them had checked the weather that day <laughs> no, to see that this life-threatening snowpocalypse was roaring towards them. Yeah, this isn't a mild snowstorm. This is like a multi-day storm. <laughs> The news crew can only handle one news story at a time. <laughs> they felt the mall opening was more important. <laughs> so the police officers help organize all the mall staff to get home in vehicles that can handle the storm. But there are a few people left over who selflessly sacrifice their spots in the vehicles to make sure everyone gets home safely. So we have Diana, Sue, Cindy, Heather, Jay. <laughs> Dave, Hal, Larry, and Paul. So they're all snowed in for the night at the mall. Or maybe forever, because through some divine intelligence, these are all people who just happen to have committed very specific murderable offenses (laughs) against one person's grandparents. (laughs) They are very specific. I would argue that none of them are murderable. (laughs) You don't think picking apples from someone's tree is a murderable offense? You maybe gave my grandma pneumonia. (laughs) So the gang heads down to the mall pub to get some food and start their little celebration, their Snowden celebration. There's one person who is not in the mood for celebrating, but definitely in the mood for killing. Of course, they'd think it was an accident. He'd planned it that way. They would all be accidents, and they'd be so horrible no one would ever want to come out to the Crossroads Mall again. It might take a few months, but the mall would close without the huge crowds of customers that the owners had expected. The big chains would be the first to pull out, and without them, the mall would have huge empty spaces with no revenues. No one would drive out here to patronize the smaller stores, not when their goods were easily obtainable elsewhere. Eventually, all the stores would close, turning this huge complex into a ghost mall. The investors would suffer just like he had suffered, and they'd end up salvaging what little they could to cut their losses. Land was the only constant. The land was stronger than any brick and concrete (laughs) edifice that man could build. Grass would push up through the asphalt, and tiny trees would grow in the cracks. Walls would crumble, and birds would built their nests in the rubble. It would take years, but the land would reclaim this place, and it would be his land, the (laughs) land his grandfather had intended for him. It was his Christmas present, the only one he really wanted, and Santa would make sure he got it. Which is a little confusing because he is Santa in his mind right now. But I love this idea of just um, reclaiming the land. Ecology wins. Yeah, stand up to capitalism. (laughs) Thank you, Santa. (laughs) So after they eat dinner, the gang decides to go sleep in the furniture store. Now, the great thing about this mall is that they leave all of the stores open all night. There's no gates or locks anywhere. The whole mall operates on an honor system. (laughs) (laughs) And Sue isn't quite tired yet, so she decides to walk back to the mall pub to throw back a few more beers, and she gazes out the window, enchanted by the beautiful Christmas lights reflecting off the snow. 
And she goes out to get some fresh air when all of a sudden she hears the sound of sleigh bells. She looks up at the balcony and to her drunken delight, she sees Santa. He ho-ho-hos at her, but his smile is more sinister than jolly. He leans up against a heavy concrete planter and pushes, and Sue can only stand there in confused fascination as the planter hurtles toward her and Strix, staining the pristine white snow with bright red poinsettia-colored splotches. Oh, I loved that line. That was so evocative. So they discover Sue's body out in the snow the next morning. They just see her poor little arm sticking up <laughs> out of the snow drift. <laughs> and so the guys move her to the meat case in the grocery store at the mall. <laughs> and most of them think that this was just a tragic accident. A small, a strong gust of wind must have blown the planter over on top of Sue. But Diana begins to wonder if something more menacing is happening. She's not wondering that hard, though. They move yeah. on very quickly. and Yeah, they're like, let's go bowling. <laughs> let's go bowling. Let's go to the movies. Let's drink lots of beer. So our Santa, meanwhile, is congratulating himself on his first kill, and he begins to plot his revenge against the next person on his list. He thinks back to when a young man and woman stopped at his grandparents' farm because their car broke down. And while the grandfather was helping the young man, his girlfriend waited inside with his grandmother, and she was sharing some of her recipes with the girl. But when the boyfriend's car was fixed, he rushed his girlfriend off before the grandmother could even finish sharing her recipes <laughs> can you believe how rude That's and so deserving rude. of death that young man is kill them all yeah <laughs> so paul the junior cameraman decides to get some footage of the snowbound seven this alliteration only works now that sue is dead um, so it's pretty convenient <laughs> and they all grab some gifts from under the tree for the shot and diana notices that one of the gifts has a tag that says to dave from santa and Dave sees it and pulls out the note inside. You'd better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. I said that more cheerful than the note probably implied <laughs> yeah. it to be. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah, uh, they, it, he, Santa wrote it with like uh, blood dripping letters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the Snowbound 7 head to the movie theater for some midnight showings of such classic films as Show Off, starring Tom Cruise, <laughs> Guts, starring Mel Gibson, and a Western called Powderhorn. Um, I did look up these films. None of them appear to be real. No. But when I was looking it up, I noticed that Mel Gibson was in a 1993 short film called The Chili Con Carne Club. Ooh, I'm not familiar <laughs> with that one. Gotta check it out. Check out <laughs> uh, there's another fake movie mentioned um, called Creature from Another Time, which mm -hmm. is like the one of the only ones we get details about. It's about like a slug that slurps out your brain. Sounds great. Yeah, I would love to see that. It sounds great. Oh, I love that. So the movie theater and concession stand are open and the movies are conveniently pre-programmed to run. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a real thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dave decides to grab some popcorn before the movie. But in the darkened lobby, he glimpses something emerge from the shadows. It's Santa, but Dave can tell immediately that this is not a friendly Santa. He backs away and quickly searches for whatever weapon he can use to defend himself. It would be stupid to face Santa unarmed. And Dave ducked behind the counter to find a weapon. 
There were piles of napkins and packets of salt stored on the shelves behind the counter, but they were useless. He could forget the plastic knives and forks, too. They'd only break. <laughs> but there was a metal box right under the hot dog grill, and that looked promising. It was mm-hmm. filled with hot dog skewers, and one of them would make a nasty weapon. <laughs> Dave grabbed one of the sharply pointed metal rods and stood up. He was armed and ready to save Heather. But as he turned to leave the counter, he got a nasty shock. There was a large, bulky figure standing at the end of the counter. Santa was here. And the evil grin on Santa's (laughs) face was enough to make Dave's teeth start to chatter in fright. As Santa hurtled toward Dave, Dave didn't have time to think. He just reacted and stabbed out with the skewer. The sharp metal point speared Santa in the stomach, but the costume was heavily padded. Santa just (laughs) laughed as he pulled out the skewer, tossing it to the floor with a clatter. And then he lunged at Dave with a fierce growl. Dave opened his mouth to scream, but he couldn't. The air whooshed out of his lungs as Santa knocked him into the counter with a powerful tackle. And then Santa was shoving him along the long counter, straight for the popcorn (laughs) machine at the end. He tried to fight back, grabbing handfuls of the red velvet suit, but Santa had the strength of a maniac. Dave grasped for air, but he was wheezing so badly he couldn't seem to draw any oxygen into his tortured lungs. The red light on the popcorn machine loomed larger and larger as Santa barreled him toward it, and then Santa gave a mighty shove and stepped back. But Dave was going too fast to catch his balance. He slipped on some water that had been spilled on the floor (laughs) and stumbled against the popcorn machine's metal surface. There was a deafening crack, and sparks flew to light up the darkened interior of the lobby. But Dave didn't hear the crack, and he didn't see the sparks. His body spasmed as 220 volts arced through his body. And the person who had been Dave Atkin only moments before fell to the floor in a smoldering heap of charred flesh. (laughs) Death by popcorn. I love that Final Destination series of events that (laughs) took place where there just happened to be some water spilled on the floor. And for some reason, this popcorn machine is made out of some alloy that conducts electricity. (laughs) It's the only way you get that perfect pop. Yeah, so... As you mentioned, Dave is cooked to a crisp, and unfortunately, he dies as a result of the crispiness. So (laughs) Santa thinks to himself, poor Dave, if only he hadn't spilled that water on the floor and then touched the metal cabinet of the popcorn machine. That's a direct quote from the book. (laughs) But Santa knows that this is no accident, and there would be more accidents and more deaths before Santa finished his work. After their movies, the gang regroups in the lobby and are struck immediately by the smell of something burning, and they find poor Crispy Dave. Jay and the guys add him to the meat case at the grocery store. (laughs) It's getting full. (laughs) Those poor grocery store workers will have a a rude awakening when they get to work. So who's the next naughty person destined for a lump of coal or worse? Santa thinks back to his childhood, where he and his grandfather entered a fishing competition to catch a large trout called Professor Pisces. We forgot to mention Professor Pisces in the character description. (laughs) (laughs) So another father and son team in the competition cheated and took home the trophy. And that child grew up to be Larry. And obviously he had to pay for being so fishy. (laughs) Um, So that night, Larry wanders away from the group and is lured towards a sporting goods store where he encounters a very realistic-looking mechanical Santa. Santa was sitting in a rocking chair, rocking back and forth as he stared out the window. 
and smiled. Every so often he would turn his head or touch his beard with his hand. The mechanics were very realistic, and Larry was sure that the sophisticated display must have cost big bucks. Larry downed his second glass of beer and got up to pour another. But he didn't sit back down again. He carried his glass out the door and walked over to the sporting goods store for a closer look at the mechanical Santa. As Larry watched, the Santa stood up and walked to the window. It was really amazing how real he looked. <laughs> he turned to the left and then to the right, seeming to search through the darkened mall for customers. And then he faced straight ahead and smiled directly at Larry. Larry smiled back. He, he couldn't help it. The Santa looked so real. Of course, he was getting a buzz from his third glass of beer, and that could have accounted for it. <laughs> I love that he just has a third glass somewhere in the <laughs> middle there. They don't even talk about him pouring it. Uh, hey, Santa, Larry chuckled and walked closer. How about if I tell you what I want for Christmas? Santa nodded, and Larry chuckled again. He knew the nod was programmed into Santa's mechanics, but it had come at the perfect time. I'd really like a Ferrari, Larry grinned, red with white leather upholstery. What do you think, Santa? Can you fit a Ferrari on your sleigh? Santa nodded again, and then he did something that absolutely blew Larry's mind. His arm came up, and he crooked his finger for Larry to come closer. Okay, okay, I'm coming, Larry laughed and stepped closer. What do you want? Ho, ho, ho! Larry took a hasty step back as he heard Santa's voice, but then he realized that there was no reason why the Santa couldn't talk. He seemed to be able to do everything else. And the talking feature was probably nothing more than the loop tape fed through a speaker. Hey Santa, can you say anything else? Ho, ho, ho is pretty boring. Ho, ho, ho! <laughs> Larry laughed and took another sip of beer. I guess that's it, huh? <laughs> You think you deserve a Ferrari after you cheated in that childhood fishing competition? <laughs> I don't All think All you so. deserve is death. Yeah. So Santa takes out his revenge by stabbing Larry in the throat with a shard of glass outside this sporting goods store. And Santa scratches Larry's name off his list. He has to move quickly now because they're running out of suspects. <laughs> and the snow has to stop eventually. Right? Yeah. So... The next person on his list was poor rich girl Heather. You see, Heather once took a field trip to his grandparents' farm to attend a jam-making class. His grandmother made the best jam in the tri-state area, but after the class, his grandmother saw Heather throw her jam away. And you know what the punishment is for people who don't like jam, don't you? <laughs> Death! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Specifically crashing to the ground floor in a broken elevator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Cindy and Diana were up next. One girl had picked some apples from his grandfather's tree, and the other had underpriced some of his grandmother's <laughs> delicious pies at a community bake sale. She baked so many pies, and you charged $2 for them? I mean, come on, this is like 1994. What does a pie cost? It's got to be like $2, $2.50. Um. So obviously Santa knows what he has to do uh, to make them pay for their sins. So the, the, the funniest thing, so that last one, you know, the underpricing pies refers to um, Diana, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is hilarious because it has absolutely nothing to do with the mall. And yeah. which is the big sort of animating principle for his actions in this book. 
which is so funny because Diana's dad is like the lead like contractor on the construction yeah. of this building. It's like he's she's def- directly related to the person responsible for the creation of this mall. Like, why don't you just take it out on her for that <laughs> rather than the $2 yeah. pies? <laughs> it seems like she would have been maybe the only person to target if you wanted revenge against the mall developers. I also like that it said that she was her dad's assistant <laughs> and oversaw all of the building development to make sure everything was up to code. Um, I'm like, maybe they should have an actual <laughs> professional doing that. Yeah, she did it like in the summer yeah, as a part-time like her summer job. internship. Yeah. But again, that makes her directly responsible for the construction of this mall. Never mentioned by him. He's got mixed priorities. Yeah. And he could have easily framed all of these incidences to make it look like the mall just wasn't up to code. And like, <laughs> the, the, the sloppy, drunk teenager yeah. was responsible for it. Yeah. Well, he wasn't thinking. He had to act quickly, I guess. Um, so Cindy and Diana, after finding their wrapped gifts with the Santa Claus is coming to town lyrics written inside, they run into the guys and warn them of their impending doom. And Hal suggests that they head to the hardware store to find something they can use as weapons. But then Diana remembers that the mall has those snowmobiles. And if they cut the locks off the snowmobiles, which are apparently the only things locked up in this mall, then they can escape the mall to safety. And then Hal adds, well, if we're going to go out in the snow, we need entire new wardrobes, including warm parkas, ski masks, boots, and gloves. I guess none of them wore any winter clothes when they first got to the mall. (laughs) They just showed up in like their cargo shorts. (laughs) Um, So they decide to split up with Hal and Diana going to the hardware store to get bolt cutters and Jay and Cindy going to rob the ski store of thousands of dollars of inventory and Paul staying behind to watch the snowmobiles. So as Diana is in the hardware store looking for the bolt cutters, she starts to put some clues together. All of these deaths would be very bad for mall business. Who would hate the mall so much that they would go through such great lengths to shut it down? And she remembered, huh, Hal. Hal's grandparents used to own the farmland that this mall was built upon. And how probably would have inherited that land if it hadn't been sold to the developers. It was a crazy suspicion, but it was all she had to go on at the moment. And then all of a sudden, the lights go out. Diana can see in front of the store, but she's afraid to make a run for it in case Hal jumps out to attack her. So she distracts him by throwing a light bulb towards the back of the store, grabbing the bolt cutters and just making a run for it to warn her friends of the discovery. Paul, the legendary junior cameraman but soon-to-be top reporter, tries to reason with Hal while the others escape. He says, Hal, I'd like to do an interview with you. Your story deserves to be told. To which Hal replies, I'm not Hal anymore. My name is Santa. (laughs) And Paul starts asking him more questions. And Hal, forgetting a trap that he had previously set, gets too comfortable during his interview and he leans up against a railing where he had loosened some of the bolts. And he falls over the edge, presumably shattering like a Christmas ornament on the ground below. And as they recover from their near-death experience at the mall, Paul brings them back together a few months later to debut his new documentary, called Sleigh Bells, which his news station had been promoting all week. 
Jay asks Diana if she was scared after watching the documentary, but she says no. The documentary is on TV, and on TV they never kill off the good guys. You have to keep them alive for the sequel. So hopefully this means we can expect Sleigh Bells 2, even snowier, any day now. <laughs> and that's the end of our super chilling tale. Our next segment is called Blood and Lace, which is our fashion commentary where we review the cool and crazy outfits described in this book. And luckily, since we're at a mall, we've got a couple. So the first occurs at the top of page 14, um, and it describes Diana's work uniform. It says, when she'd accepted this temporary Christmas job, they hadn't told her she'd have to dress up in green tights and a green jerkin and skip around the mall all day. <laughs> I liked, um, I've never heard of the term jerkin before. Um, I did look it up and it's sort of like a gilet, like a collarless button up vest thing. You, 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 you give me a, a jerkin and then gilet like I know, I know what a gilet <laughs> is either. But okay, I, I can picture it. I mean, yeah. hearing green jerkin makes me think of green gherkin, which would be a yeah, pickle. green gherkin. <laughs> Just like the Christmas pickle. <laughs> the Christmas pickle accompanies the Christmas angel to the throne. <laughs> so the next occurs at the bottom of page 18, and this describes Heather's work uniform. It says... Heather's got the best job here. She's the Crossroads Mall Christmas Angel. Diana tried to conjure up an image of a Christmas angel, but all that she could think of was the time she'd played an angel in a grade school pageant. Her costume had consisted of a white sheet draped over her body, cardboard wings covered with aluminum foil, and a foil-covered halo that kept slipping over her left eye. Does Heather have to wear a costume? Of course. She's got a gorgeous white dress with sparkles all over it and a real diamond tiara that looks a little like a halo. No wings? Diana raised her eyebrows. Well, sort of. She wears this little jacket that's really lacy around the back of her shoulders and it sticks out on both sides. I think that's supposed to be her wings. <laughs> so it's like shoulder pads? Like what's yeah. going on here? <laughs> So she basically just has like a cute um, winter pageant dress and okay. she made that into her angel costume. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Um, someone should just kill her for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so during the one of the scenes where they're trying to lighten the mood a bit, everyone needs to relax over, you know, uh, recover from all these deaths that are taking place. They're just chilling out in the mall and they decide to have a little fashion show. So they go and grab some clothes from one of the stores in the mall. So Heather is our reg resident fashion expert. So it says, uh, Heather stood up and turned around. The skirt whirled out at her hips in a graceful arc and she smiled at Jay. This lovely dress is from Elaine's Boutique right here at the Crossroads Mall. Fashion experts agree that it's impossible to go wrong with basic black, and this designer creation combines style with comfort. Notice the loose flowing design and graceful lines of the skirt. You can add a touch of jewelry for color, 
or cinch in the waist with this stunning gold belt, also from Elaine's. Do yourself a favor and drop in at Elaine's Boutique at the Crossroads Mall to see the latest in fashion. <laughs> my, my favorite detail about um, this uh, fashion show scene is they're like, well, we don't have to feel bad about taking all these clothes because once they see this documentary, they'll just give them to us. <laughs> it's free promo. <laughs> And then in the middle of page 173, we find Heather in the last outfit that she will ever wear. (laughs) (laughs) She uh, sneaks off to try on some of the clothes in the expensive boutique Le Dome, which also isn't locked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It says, when she found the closet with her size, Heather opened the door and began to examine the dresses. There were no pros tags. If you had to ask, you couldn't afford it. That was the way it worked in exclusive shops. I guess that probably is how it works. So Heather takes a dress from the rack and sighs happily. It was a gorgeous shade of deep royal purple that would look lovely on her. The sleeves and neckline were trimmed with tiny bands of pearls, and she was willing to bet that they weren't synthetic. If the dress looked as stunning on her as she thought it would, she would just make Daddy buy it for her for her Christmas present. I think that dress sounds beautiful. I wish that she had gotten a chance to wear it. Alas. Tragically. <laughs> Any more fashion moments from you, um, our, my fashionable co-host? Nope, I think you got him. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, I mean, we are forgetting Santa. Boy, does he look felt in that sweaty <laughs> <Yeah>. costume. <laughs> He's one of our sweaty beefcake Santas. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we are ready for our next segment, which we like to call Bad Moonlight. In this segment, we talk about all of those moments where our author, Joe Gibson, was writing under a spell of jolly christmas moonlight that infected her brain and made her write some very goofy things (laughs) we have some bad moonlight moments in this text so let's get into them first one pops up on page 14 diana uh here is a conversation that that cindy and her having um they're talking about sue and how she's like skipping all around the mall but she's like not breaking a sweat at all Sue's really in great shape. Cindy looked very envious. I watched her the whole way, and she didn't even break a sweat. Diana nodded, and then she parroted the old adage her granny had taught her. Women don't sweat. Horses sweat. Men perspire. And women glow. Mm. Keep that one in your back pocket. (laughs) I think it's important. (laughs) Horses sweat. (laughs) Women glow. Well, I'm definitely glowing, Cindy laughed. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. Cindy talks a little bit more on page 16 about her personality, her approach to life. Cindy waved a hand in front of Diana's eyes to get her attention. Why are you staring at me with that sappy expression on your face? Oh, uh, Diana was ready to give an excuse, but then she decided to be honest and said, I was just thinking about the kittens that you saved once and what a nice person you are. Shh! Cindy glanced around to make sure there was no one close enough to hear. Don't blow my cover, huh? As far as the rest of the world's concerned, I'm a bitch in training. But why? (laughs) Diana was puzzled. It's easier that way. It gives me an excuse for not dating. Diana frowned. Sorry, but I don't get it. If I'm a bitch, everyone will think that's the reason the guys don't ask me out. I don't want them to find out the real reason. What real reason? Diana was still puzzled. I'm ugly. Cindy (laughs) looked upset. That's the real reason I never have any dates. But you're not. You're very pretty. 
when you smile. If you'd <laughs> smile more often, maybe. No way, Cindy interrupted her. If I smile all the time, I can't be a bitch. Don't you see, Diana? It's a lot better to be an unpopular bitch than it is to be an unpopular ugly girl. Diana oh opened her gosh. mouth and then she closed it again. Cindy's <laughs> logic left a lot to be desired, but this wasn't the time for a lecture. <laughs> I like that. Uh, uh, yeah, Diana's just like, well, I can't really argue with you there. I guess uh, ultimately, yeah, you can just uh, you can just beat you. Hmm. So jaded for someone so young. It's um, quite a shame. <laughs> the next moment is one that I'm not going to read because it honestly like it almost makes me close the book. It's very, very annoying. And it just comes out of nowhere for, for no reason at all. It's the very end of chapter one. Great, great moment for this. Page 25. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not even going to read this, but they just like make all of these racist jokes. <laughs> I know. What was that? Yeah. Where did that come from? I have no idea. They're, they uh, they see a box that is, I think, mislabeled. Uh, yeah. Um, it's not fragile. It's it's like fragile. And then yeah. they say like, oh, is that Hong Kongese? And then they just make all these like racist jokes about... Um, about Chinese people and, and language errors. And it's so bizarre. And I was like, okay, so here's here's a moment. Uh, perhaps this is not the best moment to tell people that you can read this book if you want to, <laughs> but you can. <laughs> it was republished in the 2000s in this bind-up edition called mm. Twisted by Joe Gibson oh. that contains uh, Sleigh Bells, My Bloody Valentine, and one that she wrote at the time but was never published called The Seance, which I'm very interested in. Um, and yeah, you can purchase this. It's easily available still. Uh, you can find copies for nothing. And I was like, well, maybe they like updated a little bit for the, the 21st century. And they may have, but they did not remove the racist jokes. That is still what? there at the end of chapter one. I was like, how can this be? So, yeah, very strange, annoying. And it's characters that aren't even main characters at all. They're not even in the book. They're just mentioned. It's yes. so weird. Why did you have to throw that in, Joe? I, I hate it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. Well, uh, we get to a, um, <laughs> a a sweeter moment on page 29 where Diana has started to uh, flirt with Jay and they are sort of like fantasizing about a a Christmas tree that they could both own and decorate for all of the seasons of the year. Um, so they'd never have to take it down. They could just enjoy a Christmas tree forever. And um, they're being more practical about like, well, uh, how about a New Year's Eve tree? We can throw a party and decorate the tree for New Year's and we can like hang out at this New Year's party. And Diana just takes it all very literally and she starts thinking about how to decorate it. What could they use for New Year's Eve? Diana's mind spun in circles. Party hats were too big and champagne bottles were too heavy. <laughs> I just love the idea of her like trying to put full size champagne <laughs> bottles on a tree and like being surprised when the limbs give way. <laughs> oh my goodness. Diana's an interesting character. In fact, on page 41, we learn a little bit more about how she was in her youth. This comes uh, in the section with Shane Winter. Again, she was obsessed with Shane Winter when she was the girl next door as a preteen looking at him and his courting of various teen girls. Uh, little Red, Shane grinned at her. How could I ever forget you? You made my life miserable all through high school. Tracy laughed and pulled Diana closer right into the glare of the lights. How did she do that? 
Little Red lived next door to me, and she used to peek through the hedges and spy on me when I sat on the front porch with my dates. She made some of the girls so nervous they refused to date me. Is that true? Tracy turned to Diana. Diana thought fast. She didn't want Shane to go into detail. She'd simply die if he told about the time she'd howled like a wolf to scare Shirley Milk Milk? Milk? <laughs> milk? Milky away. <laughs> I'm afraid it is. I practically ruined Shane's love life. Of course, there was a lot of love life to ruin. I love feral, uh, you know, pre-teen Diana howling like a wolf uh, at teen girls. Who's that little feral child staring at us through the bushes? Oh, my gosh. Um, let's see. Uh uh, very briefly, I'll mention that um, we do learn, and this is, again, like Shane Winter, who is this object of affection, pretty much disappears almost immediately because we find out that he's sort of a fraud. Uh, they determine that he does not know how to sing. We're told he's uh, <laughs> he's, he's pulling a Millie Vanilli. Yes. Um, and he doesn't even know how to play the piano. Um, and he's also like a lech. Like he's like um, uh, telling the, uh, the news anchor of Night News to stop by his hotel room. Uh, mm -hmm. which we know because one of the characters conveniently knows how to read lips. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, the, C Cindy learns very quick, or excuse me, Diana learns very quickly to get over uh, Shane Winter and move on. Um, but what she doesn't move on from is just nagging in her own mind, her best friend, Cindy. Uh, this comes on page 48. It's when Paul has shown up, of course, with the nightly news, and he is uh, uh, taking video, like B-roll footage of the elves and the Santas. Santa, Paul grinned at Jay. Nice job, guy. Have you ever thought about turning pro? Jay laughed and shook his head. No way. The suit's too hot. I bet it is, Paul nodded and turned to Diana. You were great, too. I got a couple of nice shots of you. You're almost as photogenic as Cindy. Uh, thank you? Diana wasn't really sure what to say. She'd never thought of Cindy as being photogenic. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> That's so rude. It's like, wow, is that a compliment? My best friend is so ugly. <laughs> Man, I hope none of you have a friend like Diana. That's terrible. <laughs> I do like um, the part about when they were uh, distributing the vehicles to get people out of the mall. And Shane says oh, will my vehicle make it out? Because I have to like get out to my next event or whatever. And he says that he has a Cadillac stretch limousine and the police officer's like, eh, yeah, that should make it. <laughs> I feel like a Cadillac stretch limousine is probably the worst vehicle you can drive Definitely. in a blizzard. Yeah. <laughs> That's got four-wheel four -wheel drive. I think you'll be okay. Yeah. yeah, I feel like Shane is the ninth victim of this book. <laughs> I mean, he should be. Why is he not killed? Uh, awful. Um, I'll tell you someone who, who is killed, but shouldn't have been because she had the right strategy. This is Heather <laughs> on page 102. <laughs> um, we get this from Heather. Heather is all of a sudden being nice. Heather nodded. That's okay, Dave. And I'm sorry too for hurting your feelings. There was a moment of silence as everyone stared at Heather in surprise. Was it possible that being snowbound was having a positive effect on her personality? Well, don't look at me like I'm crazy, Heather sighed and tossed her hair back over her shoulder. I just decided I'd try to be nice until we get out of here. Otherwise, somebody's probably going to kill me. <laughs> yeah. No, she was the only one that really had, like, any character arc. She, by the end, was like, maybe I should have been nicer to Larry. Maybe I should have been nicer to Dave. She had a real Ebenezer Scrooge <laughs> moment um, right before her death. <laughs> maybe Daddy will buy me the expensive dress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, we have, so this book is like slight. Okay. Uh, no, I'll say significantly hornier than most books that we read. <laughs> um, there are uh, a few different moments here that are quite disturbing where these, I mean, they are college age teens are like yeah. thinking about heavy duty uh, stuff in the mall. Um, and they do, of course, engage in a little bit of making out, especially during those movies, you know, during show off, you got to show off something. Uh, and this is absolutely disgusting description here on page 108. Uh, this is uh, Diana and Jay making out. <laughs> Diana gave way to her instincts without any conscious thought. She reached up to wrap her arms around Jay's neck. He tightened his arms around her. And held her press close against him, so close she could feel his heart beat faster and faster as the kiss went on. Now he was <laughs> nibbling at her lips, the little nips that made her gasp and open her lips slightly. Jay groaned deep in his throat, and his kiss changed character. It was harder, and he took control of her mouth, probing with the tip of his tongue. It was warm and then hot, like a searing fire. And Diana felt a trembling sensation that started at her toes and rushed all the way up to the very top of her head. Um, I think we have to mark this episode as explicit now because that was just way too much. <laughs> Why was his tongue so hot? Does he have a fever? <laughs> he took control of her mouth with his hot, hot tongue. <laughs> yeah, they're all they're all going, you know, they're all giving each other some sort of communicable disease. Oh, boy. Disgusting. Um, it gets grosser somehow on page 138. <laughs> Uh, after Diana is woken up from a hot dream. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. So uh, she's woken up by Jay. Jay was grinning down at her, and Diana blushed as she nodded. Luckily, the lights were dim, and he couldn't see that her face was bright red with acute embarrassment. Maybe we should have slept in the furniture store all by ourselves. Diana's (laughs) blush deepened as she smiled up at Jay and shook her head. Actually, I think it's a really good thing we didn't. You're very beautiful when you're sleeping, you know that? Jay reached out to touch her face in a one-finger caress that traced the shape of her lips. You looked just like an innocent little girl until you pulled me down to kiss you. Then you weren't quite so innocent. Diana giggled. That was your fault. At first I thought you were my mom waking me up for school. And then I thought you were Cindy. You kiss your mom and sister like that? What is going on here? Like the the mixing of the highly erotically charged and the like little girl waking up from a nightmare Ew, is very gross. Very gross. Yeah, that whole scene was just very gross. And contextually, this takes place after like what, maybe three or four of their friends were murdered. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> They're like they're, they're I think they're sleeping in the restaurant where yeah. they're like twenty feet away from the meat locker full of dead bodies. Yeah. Not a very um like sensual time, I would no. say. <laughs> Let's see. Next moment comes on page one seventy-eight. This is in the middle of one of the killer's memory reveries of revenge where he's thinking about Uh, In this case, Heather's tossing away of the jam. There's one little funny detail here. So Grandma had seen the jar of smashed jam, and she was very upset about this. And so what did uh, Santa slash Hal do to remedy the situation? 
Even though he'd always been allergic to strawberries, he'd eaten Grandma's jam on his toast all that summer. It had given him a horrible rash, but it had been worth it to see her smile. <laughs> he's, he's so obsessed with his grandparents. <laughs> I love the, the sicko grandma who, like, sees her, like, coughing, rashed ch- uh, uh, grandchild and is like, yes, eat my jam. Good He boy. loves my jam. <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, uh, Let's see. We do have a description as they're preparing to fight the killer on page 179. We have Cindy and Diana trying to figure out how to use mace. And they talk about how it's just like perfume. (laughs) Diana gave a little laugh. That's not very comforting. I don't know how to use mace. And by the time I read the instructions, it'll be too late. I know how. It's just like perfume. If the killer tries to grab you, all you have to do is point it and spray at all of their <laughs> pulse points. And actually, you're supposed to kind of like spray it into the air and then, <laughs> then walk, walk through the through. cloud. <laughs> 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 Don't do that, Diana. That won't work out well. <laughs> um, all right. I got two quick succession moments. Um on page 195 and 197, both from the mind of Hal slash Santa, uh, where he says some really bizarre things about Santa. You know, he's getting into the Santa mind space and he's like rewriting Santa lore. Mm-hmm. Uh, 195 at the bottom. <laughs> Santa smiled as he watched them huddle behind the snowmobiles. No sense in wasting ammunition. <laughs> They'd have to move eventually. And he had a perfect vantage point. All he had to do was watch and wait. They'd be forced to come out sooner or later. And when they did, Santa would punish them all. The Christmas music was playing softly in the background and Santa sat down on the bench to wait. Christmas was a time of joy, but only for those who deserved it. He thought of the fear on their faces when they'd see the gun and he chuckled in pleasure. It was unusual to see Santa with a gun, but drastic times called for drastic measures. It is slightly unusual, huh? I mean, I guess up in the North Pole, you have to protect yourself against polar bears or something. So it's not unheard of. (laughs) Just unusual. Well, as uh, Santa says on or thinks on 197, this wasn't a war and Santa didn't take any prisoners. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. That could be a great tagline for a movie. (laughs) I mean, this book already has two taglines, but it really should have had this one, too. Um, my last bad moonlight moment comes on page 203 and it is in the epilogue when they're about to watch the, uh, the, what snowbound seven or six or five documentary. And, uh, it turns out that Cindy very graciously made a dip. (laughs) You made a dip. Diana looked at Cindy in surprise. I sure did. Cindy gritted her. I found the recipe in a cookbook. You chop up all these things really fine. Then you mix it with sour cream and mayo. (laughs) Uh, You know, sour cream, mayo, and finely chopped things. Whatever those things are. This sounds great. Mm -mm -mm. That's one of those, like, uh, she found that in one of those, like, disgusting 70s cookbooks that I see Instagram accounts for called, like, gross old foods. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine a sour cream and mayo dip. <laughs> That's I don't want to. <laughs> what would go in that, I wonder? <laughs> <laughs> Things. Um, it turns out, though, that uh, um, uh, Paul takes a look at it and says, you know, this dip is from the grocery store. It says so right on the label. And Cindy nods and says, I know. I did make some dip. It just tasted so awful, I threw it out. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Our next segment is called Win, Lose, or Die, where we rate the book that we just read. Win, of course, means um, this book uh, is a pile of presents <laughs> that you would place under the tree of a loved one. Lose means that is a lump of coal or perhaps a murder um, that you would only give to your worst enemy who wronged your grandparents. And die means this book was just so silly, and although it is not a literary classic, you know, it's still worth a read because you deserve to have some fun in life. It's an ugly Christmas sweater of your <laughs> exactly. book collection. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, Jeffrey, what rating did you give to Sleigh Bells? So, for me, Sleigh Bells is a ho, ho, home run! <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, let's be clear. This is perhaps the stupidest book we've read, <laughs> so I can't quite call it a win, but it is an unequivocal die for yeah. the entertainment value. By entertainment, I of course mean protracted scenes of college teens willfully forgetting about the grisly deaths of their friends while chugging mugs of beer and partaking in the blandest of mall activities. <laughs> There's so much potential in the mall and they, they are just so boring. It's overlong, <laughs> ponderous, exquisitely corny, and yes, these are all checks in the plus category for me. It is Christmas junk food, a cookie left out on my Santa plate, and I'm woofing it down merrily. <laughs> How'd you feel about this one? <laughs> yeah, this is a classic die. Um, I had so much fun. I was laughing out loud at how silly it was. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it felt very cinematic to me. Like I could picture this as like a Christmas slasher movie. For sure. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, an enjoyable read. The characters are so one-dimensional, but it's fine because they're only there to add to the body count. I love the mall setting, so that's like a bow on top of the present. Um, a great little Christmas horror story. <laughs> I, I do feel like the book is, you know, maybe a little knowing. It's it's hard to say for sure, but like when you know, Santa's reasons for his murder get like increasingly absurd, it it does make me think that Joe Gibson is like winking at us a little bit, like she knows how silly this is, but she's just kind of having fun with it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's not funny enough in an intentional way for that to come across, or absurd enough. It's like it plays it relatively straight in standard slasher trope so it kind of hits this sweet spot for a die where yeah it's um just kind of perfectly poised yeah the motivations are just so outlandish like all of these like you've seen that sort of story before where everyone who's on this mysterious island uh has committed some atrocity and so they're all deserving of death so i love the fact that for this book, their <laughs> atrocities are like underpricing a baked good. <laughs> it's very funny. So our next segment is called Final Exam. In this segment, we like to play a game. Uh, a holly jolly... There's no good joke there. A holly jolly... A reindeer game. A reindeer game! <laughs> there was a good joke there. <laughs> Uh, inspired by the book that we've read. So I have a game. Uh, do you have a game? I sure do. Cool. Do you want to go first or second? Um, I'll go first. Um, okay. So for my game, it's just a, it's more of a little quizlet. Um, we're going to design your own holiday themed murderous rampage. Ooh. So you're preparing for your 
own personal murderous rampage, but you want to do it with your own style and flair, you know? Yeah. So you're just going to choose some selections from the list of options that I give you and just explain your rationale. So let's think about your soundtrack. It's so important for a rampage to have a soundtrack. So which Christmas song would put you in the mood for your Christmas rampage? Would it be Little Drummer Boy, (laughs) Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, Christmas Don't Be Late by Alvin and the Chipmunks, or another song of your choice? Um, Definitely Little Drummer Boy. That is by far the worst Christmas song. Anyone who says differently, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, So that would inspire a murderous rampage in me. Um, I do think that that new Kids on the Block song, Funky Funky Christmas, that we've talked about in the past would be a (laughs) good soundtrack for it. Please insert that sound here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Little Drummer Boy for sure. How about you? Yeah, I would also say Little Drummer Boy. I I mean, a drum is one of our cooler instruments, but that song is the most milk toast uh, song about a drum that you could possibly (laughs) imagine. (laughs) Okay, so what is your motive for killing all of these snowbound co-eds? Are they all responsible for recruiting you and your friends and family into various multi-level marketing schemes? Um, Were they all members of a t-ball team that once beat your childhood t-ball team in the citywide finals? Were they all cashiers at a grocery store that rang up one of your items at the wrong price? Or was it another motive? (laughs) Uh, T-Ball never forgets. Uh, (laughs) That other team is going down. They're going way down. Um, I definitely could not, you know, uh, blame a a cashier, especially working the holiday rush. And um, I can't even remember the first one. I've already lost it. Multi-level marketing schemes. That's kind of on you if you um, get sucked into it. Exactly. (laughs) I I, I only blame the victim in that case. Yeah, I mean, T-ball revenge. Like, what if your grandparents were at that game? They had (laughs) set their expectations so high. They were so disappointed when you lost that trophy. It just, probably, they carried that with them to their graves, I think. They did. They never (laughs) smiled again. Um, so in which mall store would you find your signature murdering equipment? Hot Topic, Ladies Foot Locker, Sharper Image, or another store? Sharper Image. I'm pretty sure everything in Sharper Image could <laughs> kill you if, if yeah. used uh, inappropriately. So that seems like the best choice. I think so, too. I picture um, that little gadget with the metal balls that hang down and you like move one of the balls and it's like a kinetic sculpture where they move back and forth like what if you like put someone's head (laughs) in between the metal balls squished like a grape Uh, do sharper image stores even exist anymore or do they only exist in like airports i think they don't exist anymore because there were too many murders (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the earth retook all the sharper image stores. Trees yeah. have sprouted where they once stood. Yeah, there were like too many lava lamps that were um, emptied out and um, dumped on someone's head. <laughs> yeah, scary. Okay, and finally, what would be your killer costume? Santa's taken, so we can't use that. Would you be the Krampus? Would you be... The Christmas Prince from Netflix's The Christmas Prince? <laughs> or would you be Yukon Cornelius? 
Who is Yukon Cornelius? <laughs> He's from the um, claymation Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer oh, movie. Okay. You know, the, the big guy with the beard. He's so cute. Okay. I love him. Okay. Um, I would be a Christmas prince. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So you could like charm all of the victims um, before they're killed, and they'll just be so enchanted by you and your regal ways. <laughs> I, I just wanted to be very snooty at them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't find him particularly charming. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. So, what's your game? All right, so my game is a very special gift for you. Um, I've uh, I've acquired this uh, maybe a year ago, and I've just been holding on to it for the right moment, and now feels like the right moment. Um, as the student bodies know, and as is clear from, from this book and its uh, uh, thwarted hot dog skewering, we can't avoid hot dogs. They're all over the place. Every time we read one of these books, there is some mention of a hot dog. It's just authors in the 90s either thought or it was just true that teenagers of any age were just woofing down hot dogs <laughs> all the time. They're haunting us. They haunt our dreams. <laughs> we are haunted by them. So uh, to make a little bit light of this haunting, I have a book called Hot Dog Jokes Whoa. Told with Relish by <laughs> oh Leonard gosh. Pines. Here's the cover for you. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. You know, if I had seen that book in a store, I would have bought it for you immediately. So I'm glad you already have it. <laughs> so I just want to basically, I'm going to read through uh, just randomly um some of these jokes and you're going to try to guess the punchline okay it'll be tough because most from what i've seen most of them are insane Uh, (laughs) because there are so many jokes here and guess what you can't make that many jokes about hot dogs okay i'm gonna try to think of all the hot dog puns my brain can muster (laughs) i'm just gonna randomly open the pages here Uh, this is a perfect one to start with why do hot dogs love author charles dickens (laughs) Um, uh, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Because he wrote, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. (laughs) (laughs) Worst of times. What TV show intrigues all Franks? What TV show intrigues all Franks? Um, you got me. (laughs) (laughs) Meet the press. <laughs> when does a wiener have a close shave? I mean, like always, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, when it goes to a barbecue. Oh. I guess it's like a close shave with death. Like a barbecue? <laughs> a barbecue. <laughs> Is that it? Oh, it is. It's a barbecue. I read it wrong. That's so silly. Uh, why is a movie about hot dogs always a cliche? Um, you got me. It's the same old story. Boy meets grill. <laughs> Boy meets grill. <laughs> the classic tale. <laughs> Are all hot dogs boys, I wonder? <laughs> no, no, they have um a, a drawing here. Um, that has a girl hot dog with eyelashes. Oh, that's ew. How you know. <laughs> what a terrifying thought of a hot dog with eyelashes. <laughs> if you ate five hot dogs and then ate three more, what would you have? 
Um, a baker's dozen. You'd have eight and eight and eight. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane. (laughs) Who wrote this book? They're so funny. Uh, This is by (laughs) Leonard Pines. Thanks, Leonard. Why did they think the vendor was dealing in stolen francs? Uh, did he smell like hot dog juice? No, he kept yelling, get them while they're hot. <laughs> Ooh, oh, this is a good stolen. one. They were stolen, right? Uh, why are Frankfurters considered fickle sports fans? Um, because they... I have no idea. They always root for the wieners. <laughs> Come on. That one, that one wasn't bad. I kind of like that one. Oh my, what is, all right. This is absurd. What gives a Frank good taste? Like seasoning, perhaps, or um, condiments. Yeah, that would make sense. No, the answer is four years in a good college. I don't know. Is there a, a Hotchuck University that we should be applying to? There's a little image. Oh, of, of, that's nice. With his diploma. He has a diploma. <laughs> <laughs> what? All right. What's red than yellow? Red than yellow? Red than yellow? <laughs> um, I don't know. Something to do with mustard and ketchup. You'd think, no, a hot dog that moonlights as a banana. (laughs) This whole book was written under bad moonlight. Was Leonard Pines seven years old? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) To remove a Frank from a jar, the jar must be what? Open. Topless. (laughs) Wait. I don't know. <laughs> what's Let me think about that one. <laughs> what's red and writes on paper? Um, a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> a ballpoint frankfurter. <laughs> like ballpark, I guess, is the joke. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. Um, these are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's one last one for you. Okay. <laughs> when the Frankfurter Rolls held a beauty contest and invited an all-hot dog group to judge, what was the first prize winner called? Miss Cream Cheese. Miss Bread Wiener. <laughs> what does this mean? I don't understand the pun. So from now on, instead of calling them hot dogs, should we call them bread wieners? Bread wieners. <laughs> All right, I got one last one. This one's actually pretty funny. Okay. What did the wieners do when the pickles went out on strike? Uh, what? Well, they stayed away because they refused to cross a pickle line. Ooh, topical. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Feel free to use any of these jokes in your holiday gatherings, student <laughs> bodies. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Our final segment of the day is called Chain Letter, and this is where we read out a letter that has been sent to us 
at our email address, superchillerspod at gmail.com. That's superchillerspod at gmail.com. We don't always have one of these chain letters to read, but today we do. Yay, Christmas miracle. Christmas miracle came through. It's called, titled, Happy Holidays in the subject line. Dear Jeffrey and Katie, in honor of the weird fancy brown ink that was used on the letter that fell from (laughs) Claudia's book in Help Wanted, I am sending an email using a weird fancy brown colored font. And I can confirm that's true. It is a fancy brown colored font. I am very unnerved by this, suspicious (laughs) of it, you might say. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for all the excellent episodes this year. Happy holidays from Charlie. This is uh, Charlie Roxburgh, who is um, one of my favorite living film directors. Uh, He's an independent film director who is absolutely, his movies are absolutely incredible. Uh, Do yourself a Christmas favor, everybody. Go to Tubi and watch Don't Let the River Beast Get You or Magic Spot, both of which are available there. Um, what? Oh, Monsters, Marriage, and Murder in Manch Vegas is also available there. Freaky Farley, four movies you can just watch, all by Charlie Roxburgh. They're amazing. Start with Don't Let the River Be Sketch You. You will know immediately. Uh, these are the the best films you've ever seen. Wow, I'm so touched. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> All right, I think we are ready to dip into the, um, uh, the the Super Chillers elf hat to discover what we're going to be reading for January. So while Katie is uh, in the uh, the elf hat that is shaped weirdly like a beret, uh, I want to <laughs> remind you again, you too can send us a chain letter, superchillerspod at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, super underscores chillers. Oh, we're also on threads, I guess, sometimes. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the provider of your choice. It really helps the algorithm and also helps our holiday cheer and spirits by raising them. So send us a, a review. Thanks. All right, Katie, what are we reading for January? Our January book is Nightmare Hall, The Wish by Ooh. Diane Ho. Ooh. We're getting back to Nightmare Hall. I'm excited. My, my previous uh, sojourns into Nightmare Hall <laughs> were very uh, uh, beneficial. Uh, we did The Biker was one, right? <laughs> the Biker was And that one. was amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was so wild. Um, yeah, this will be great. It's like we're going back for the spring semester starting in January. Yes. And January is my birthday month. So it's like this is mm-hmm. my birthday wish. Oh, perfect. Meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> Faded. <laughs> So, Jeffrey, as we close on this snowy holiday evening, do you have any advice for our student bodies? Remember, Santa don't take no prisoners. (laughs) If we've learned one thing from this cautionary tale, never insult someone's grandparents. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Good night and happy holidays.